On Tuesday, April 16, 1968, the Arellano family was traveling from Mexico to San Angelo, Texas to meet with family members. They were forced to pull over as their car suddenly had a flat tire. The patriarch, Manuel Arellano, patched the tire and their family continued on their way. Unfortunately, the family had yet another flat tire a few miles down the road. An individual masquerading as a good Samaritan took them 30 miles up the road to Sonora to get the tire repaired and then returned them to their car. Sometime after that, five members of the family were murdered in rural Edwards County, south of Sonora, Texas. Their bodies were located across Highway US-277. To this day, this grisly 53-year-old murder remains Texas's oldest unsolved mass slaying. Let's break down the details. Secrets of the Trees presents The Arellano Family Massacre The Arellano family was comprised of Manuel, age 25, Monica, his wife, age 25, their children, Manuel Jr., age 5 at the time of the murders, Leticia, age 2.5, Eduardo, age 15 months, and Manuel's sister, Rosa Elia, age 19, though some sources refer to Manuel's sister as Maria Antonia. We will refer to her as Rosa Elia as that name is what's on the official Texas Department of Public Safety website, and the ages mentioned are also those found on that website. The purpose of their trip was to visit a relative who had either given birth or was about to give birth. They were doing the drive from Villa de Fuente, which is just inside the Mexican border, to San Angelo in Texas. This trip would have taken them a handful of hours, stops included, had it not been for the car trouble that lay ahead. I'm not sure if this trip was one that the family had taken frequently or previously. However, it was to be a relatively easy trip. Manuel spoke English, they had more family in Texas, and Manuel had also been a migrant farm worker in Iowa. So it's not like Manuel and his family had been visiting the U.S. for the first time and felt out of place, nor did he have a language barrier. Along their journey, the family was forced to pull over as their car suddenly had a flat tire. As stated, Manuel patched the tire and the family continued on their way. Then, they had yet another flat tire a few miles down the road. Someone traveling on that road picked up Manuel and Manuel Jr. and took them 30 miles up the road to Sonora to get the tire repaired. Witnesses told investigators Ariano and his son walked to a nearby cafe and ordered hamburgers while the tire was being repaired. Then the individual drove Manuel and Manuel Jr. back to their car. The times and sightings vary on this case, and given that it was over 50 years ago, I'm not sure we're going to get a concrete timeline at this point. Highway workers reported speaking to Manuel at about 6 p.m. on April 16th as he worked to change the first flat tire they had. A driver for Oilfield Bus Lines who drove that same route twice a day said he spotted a white pickup parked near the family car at the location where the Arianos had the second flat tire, and this was about 7 p.m. The bus driver said he again saw the Arianos car on his way back from Del Rio later that night, though this time frame was not specified. Sometime after the second flat tire, nearly the entire family was killed. Whether it was before or after the bus driver saw their car for the second time is unknown. Ranch hands from the nearby Whitehead Ranch followed a blood trail from one of the ranch's gates to a tree nearby and discovered Manuel's body inside the barbed wire fence line. This fence line was in close proximity to Highway 277. Monica's body had been placed in a ditch further south, about a mile out. Rosa Elia, Manuel's sister, was found near Monica, a few feet away in the wild vegetation. The children were all found near Manuel. 15-month-old Eduardo had already passed away by the time police arrived. The details are graphic, and I will not be sharing them. I will only discuss the manner in which he died, 
He was repeatedly stabbed in the back. Letitia had been shot twice between the eyes and had amazingly survived, but then she unfortunately passed away two days later. Manuel Jr. had been shot in the head and also stabbed. He underwent multiple brain surgeries and miraculously survived. 24-hour guards had been posted outside his room for protection. The car was found about 8 miles south of where the bodies had been located, still without the fixed tire. It's believed that the car had been moved after the first two murders. Aside a knife, the other murder weapon was a 22 caliber firearm. It was never located. About two weeks after the attack, Manuel Jr. was able to tell authorities details on the man who attacked them and what had transpired, although there were some initial difficulties investigators had to work through. Manuel Jr. only spoke Spanish at that time, so they enlisted the help of an interpreter. His hearing had also been severely damaged by the gunshot wound to his head. Manuel Jr. described the man as a big cowboy who was first helping them and then killed his father. It appears that on the way back from the station, the suspect was shooting at rabbits and deer from his car window while driving, which understandably upset Manuel. He didn't know this man, and I would also be very uncomfortable if a stranger who offered me a ride suddenly pulled out a gun or rifle and started actively shooting, even if it was to the outside. I would also be even more wary of this happening while a family member is in the car. Manuel apparently tried to stop the man and took the gun away, but a scuffle ensued and the man shot Manuel as he was trying to flee. At some point, the suspect went on to kill Monica, though it's unclear how she was killed, whether bludgeoned, shot, or stabbed. Rosa Elia had been stripped naked, raped, and then killed. The children, as mentioned, were shot and or stabbed. Edward County Sheriff Office Chief Deputy Daryl Volkman stated, although one of the investigators spoke Spanish to Manuel Jr., Volkman believes that a language barrier may have misled investigators on other leads. Transcripts from Manuel Jr.'s interview showed his misunderstanding of the questions. One time they had asked him, was he American? To which Manuel Jr. replied, no, we didn't get any ice cream. So he didn't understand what they were talking about, said Volkman. Granted, Manuel Jr.? was five, had been shot in the head and stabbed, witnessed his entire family get murdered, and his physical injuries, those were just the ones they could see. I mean, there is no doubt his psychological trauma was severe at that time. I really don't think investigators expected to get that much information from him. Still, even with a language barrier, Manuel was at least able to provide some sort of insight. Back at the Sonora service station, the attendant who had repaired the tire for Manuel provided a description of this man, stating he was tall, over 6 feet, about 200 pounds, with sandy-colored hair, looked to be in his 30s, and had some kind of rash or pockmarks on his neck. The attendant also stated that the man wore a straw cowboy hat, had boots with an eagle design on the side, and his pants were tucked into them. On his belt, the suspect wore a large hunting knife, and his truck was described as a two-tone 1967 Chevrolet Fleetside Series 10 pickup with a white top and a green or blue bottom. The sketch provided was a very eerie photo. The hat and the darkness of the eyes, it, it just gives me the creeps, for lack of better words. Several potential suspects were brought in, but the attendant was unable to identify any of them. I wonder if on the way over to the service station, the suspect acted rational, and then on the way back, it was as if he became unhinged. I know the attendant physically described the man, but did he ever provide any insight as to how he was acting, how he spoke, if he even spoke, and how he carried himself, if he looked awkward, out of place, if he was sitting others, looking around, focused on Manuel and Manuel Jr.'s movements? After the scuffle, the suspect was able to secure his firearm from Manuel. I also wonder if the suspect was filled with vitriol at that point, or if he was calm when he pointed his gun to Manuel. Did the killer decide he had to kill everyone else because he had already shot Manuel? Or was he intending on killing this family all along? 
They were stranded, with no help, on a lonely road. The nearest service station was 30 miles away. Could the suspect have been stewing this over on the ride to the station, during, and then on the drive back? And it, it wasn't enough for the suspect to just shoot everyone, though. He felt the need to additionally stab everyone else, and Rosa Elliot was raped as well. The Arianos also had two flat tires that day. Were the roads that terrible, and the flat tires were just really bad luck? Or could have something been placed on the road? If it was planned, why take Manuel and Manuel Jr. to the service station? Maybe the individual or individuals needed to assess based on the amount of people and the fact that there were children? After recovering from multiple surgeries, Manuel Jr. was taken to Mexico where he was reunited with and raised by his grandmother. He should be in his late 50s. An article stated he's married, he's a father, and he's working in the financial industry. He was questioned again as an adult and even during hypnosis, but he was unable to provide details of that day. The ever-present reminders he carries, however, are the scars from the several stab wounds the killer inflicted on him. In 2006, an anonymous tip reinvigorated interest in the case. The caller was eventually dismissed as an unreliable source, however, detectives decided to give this case a fresh look. Sergeant Brooks Long, who at the time of the 2006 article was responsible for a four-county area of Bass, West Texas, had said that authorities had collected some physical evidence years ago, like pieces of clothing from the Arianos. Some were submitted for DNA testing that wasn't available in the late 1960s and early 70s. Sergeant Long believes that more than one person was involved, which differs from the views of his peers at that time of the crime. He was quoted as saying, Back in 68, I think with the information they had, they probably looked at a hate crime as the motive. Sexual assault was secondary. Thirdly would have been theft, said Long, referring to the rape of Rosa Elia. I think now we put that reverse. I think you have a robbery that kind of gets out of hand that leads to murder and sexual assault. It is also Sergeant Long's belief that the assailant or assailants have possibly killed again. As he said, experiences, definitely you don't do this and stop. And if it was just a one-time event in some individual's life, that's questionable. How somebody rational could do something like this and just carry on with normal routine in life. That's why I also wonder how the suspect was acting that day. I feel like if we had some insight to how his demeanor was, maybe we could develop more theories as to what happened. Interestingly enough, the man who fixed the flat tire in Sonora was convicted of a strikingly similar crime in California. Investigators retrieved his DNA, but it didn't match anything that had been previously collected in evidence. Then, another lead, a man connected to the case, still living in Edwards County. But Volkman said the DNA tests were inconclusive. He believes that the evidence is contaminated, especially because in 1968, law enforcement didn't handle evidence the way it's collected modern day. In addition to contamination, samples that are old, degraded, or weren't stored correctly may also provide inconclusive results. A man by the name of Pete Gomez Sr. had a memorial commission for the family, and it was erected somewhere in the middle point of the two locations of where the bodies were found. As for that stretch of road where the murders happened, according to Carol Finnegan, who, with her husband, owns the store where the Ariano family repaired their flat, Mexicans won't stop there or travel the road. A preacher once came in the store to get rid of the Loma Alta Devil or Ghost, she recalled. If this killer was in his 30s, at the time he committed these acts, then he'd roughly be in his 80s or maybe even closer to 90. There's still time for investigators to find this man. There have been several serial killers who operated over decades who were eventually caught, even in old age. There's still a chance. Texas Crime Stoppers is offering a cash reward of up to $3,000 to any person who provides information that leads to the arrest of the person or persons responsible for this crime. You can submit a tip through the Texas Rangers cold case website or you can contact them by phone at 1-800-346-3243.